0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the You know the Drill podcast, the podcast hosted by me, Ferris, and my mate, Robbie, two fourth-year dental students providing dental content for all your needs. Whether you're a dental student or applicant, if you want to learn more about the reality of dentistry, this is the podcast for you. If you want to keep up to date with all our updates, episodes, and more, make sure you follow us on Spotify at You know the Drill podcast, and don't forget to check out our Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Thank you.
1: So today we are joined by the legend himself, uh, Dr. Zane Rizvi. Um, in this episode, Zane will tell us a little bit about his accomplishments during and after dental school, and also give us some tips on how to really excel during your undergraduate years and in your training year following graduation. Um, so without further ado, welcome on to the
2: podcast, Zane. Thank you for having me, guys.
0: Yes, very, very exciting. Um, I think this is going to be a really fun one because um just kind of looking at your instagram your socials you know this is mm. how i actually got in contact with zane was just seeing the quality of work that you've produced like so early like, out of dental school is really inspiring to see um especially because i'm pretty sure you know you've probably seen a lot of dental students on on instagram we're kind of just trying to do stuff and we're like it doesn't look that great so it's nice <laughs> to see that you know it gets better <laughs> um so yeah so just as a little introduction um for our you know our listeners can you just tell us a little bit about yourself
2: yeah, so uh, my name's Zain. I basically, am. Um, uh, I graduated from King's uh, in 2020. Um, I was actually a graduate entry student, so I joined in 2016 in BDS2, kind of ran through the normal sort of curriculum, graduated 2020 in the middle of COVID. Um, that was interesting, and I, you guys, I'm sure, and the people who listen to your podcast can relate to kind of how disruptable that was. And over COVID, I went into DFT as well, so that kind of disruption carried forward into DFT. Um, But I had a great time. That's kind of where I started really getting into my Instagram page, and I think posting more clinical stuff because obviously at uni you don't you can't really post much more than phantom head stuff, yeah. um, which I was also doing actually when I started the page, and we can mm-hmm. talk about that uh, later. Um, and then yeah, I finished DFT kind of last September, um, and I've been fortunate to be to get a, a job in uh, Greenwich in private practice, so I've been there since September just kind of honing my skills really um it's nice of you guys to say you know that you, you like the work and stuff but yeah, just like you guys I'm also learning from people older than me and more experienced than me so to be honest it's all relative in terms of what you look to and you're like wow like, that's amazing so so yeah
1: perfect all right so just diving straight in then um so what were some of the things that you were doing to really make the most out of your time in dental school
2: yeah so um I always view like dental school for me in like two two parts. And I think the kind of first year, year and a half, so BDS2 and most of BDS3, obviously that's very theory orientated. And, and a lot of your kind of day-to-day is kind of revising for exams and tests and learning kind of actual didactic content. Yeah. So in terms of making the most of that, I just used to kind of follow the kind of strategy that I had when I did my undergrad in biomed, which was just like, you know, turn up to lectures, make some notes, and then... One thing I, I, I've always done throughout my whole sort of life is that instead of leaving work to just pile up like most students do and then hit Easter, break really hard uh, and cram, I used to always be like, look, like I'm not someone who can do all these like 12-hour re- revision shifts and late nights and stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to go to lectures, make make brief notes. And then at the end of each day, because I'll probably have only sat through maybe two, three lectures in the day, at the end of each day, I'll just kind of look through the lectures, even if I'm just reading through what was covered and just try and make sense of it in my head. And if I can make some quick notes on that topic, and then that way you start to build up kind of your notes so that when it comes to Easter, you don't have to go back to lecture one that you had in October time and like literally go through the whole lecture again. You can kind of just look at the quick notes that you made on that day after reviewing the lecture. And so basically it's all about just kind of making notes and then remaking those notes and rereading. And it's just repetitive, right? That's how you memorize and learn stuff. So I think I just kind of saved myself that initial like, oh my God, I've got so much stuff to get through because I'd be like, oh, I've, I've kind of been doing it as I'm going along. And doing small bits every day is a lot more manageable and less stressful. And you can still have a great uni life doing that than leaving it all to least and just having a breakdown. So that was a kind of pre-clinical. Post-clinical, like from third year, fourth year, fifth year, for me, it was a couple of things. Um, the main thing was, uh, 10,000 hours concept. So I was like, look, like the only way I'm going to get good at this hands-on career is if I actually just put the hours in and I literally train my hands to do what I want them to do. I think a lot of you guys at dental school, you actually know what to do. And you're probably more clued up than most dentists who are 10, 15, 20 years qualified, because you're, you're learning the most up-to-date stuff about bonding, about composites, about prepping, mm, yeah. whatever, generally speaking. Um, and so you have the knowledge. it's just that like your hands don't do what your mind wants them to do, and you kind of make mistakes and you learn from them. So, I was just like, right, it's just like any kind of sport that you play, like the more you train, the more you train, the better you're going to get. But you have to put those hours in, and there's no real shortcut so what i m- my biggest advice, and I always talk about this is that if your patient doesn't rock up at dental school or you don't have a patient and and before covid this was a lot rare. It was a lot more rarer for people to bring phantom heads up and start doing practice because most people if they didn't, if their patient didn't show up or they didn't have a patient book, then they'd just go home or go out with their friends and they'd have like a half day and they'd be chilling. For yeah. me, I was like, okay, nine to five, I'm meant to be at dental school, I'm paying to be at dental school. It's a bit of a grad mentality because it's your second degree, so you're kind of more focused on what you're doing. And so I was like, nine to five, if my patient doesn't show up, I'm going down to floor 20 and I'm getting a phantom head and I'm gonna I'm gonna either do a prep, a composite, whatever I see on Instagram, I'm just gonna practice that. And I'll take photos of it if I want to post to my Instagram and just reflect and ask people for advice, but the photos thing didn't really matter to me as much. Cause I did loads of times where I didn't take any photos of anything. I didn't post them anywhere, but I just kind of wanted to prep and just get used to my hand preparing for crowns and stuff. And mm. I did that literally from midway through third year until fifth year. And if you think about it, like every week you've got what three or four clinical sections more as you get into fifth year. And during third and fourth year, you actually have the time to be practicing on phantom head. And like, i i said this on a on a different podcast the other day i was like literally doing full mouth rehabs on phantom teeth like i and you know they might still have this rule in place but when i was there they had to introduce a rule which was like two teeth and that's it for -hmm. the day and it's because of i don't know if it's because of me but like i was going through like tons Mm. and tons of teeth because i was just practicing and that for me clinically got me to where i think i have developed to in terms of fd and now first year associate like i don't think i'm some prodigy or untalented or anything like that i don't even think my work is necessarily the best out there either but i do think that w- the things that i find easy i only find easy because i've done them for hours and hours and hours um and that is probably the biggest piece of advice i can give you because you because everyone can do that it's just about putting the work yeah. and the hours in um instead of kind of just taking the afternoon off
0: mm. You know
2: that's that's very interesting.
0: I, I remember uh, again when I, messaged Zane, I was like, "How do I make the most out of dental school?" And it was like, "Just do more phantom head work." Yeah. And you know, I, I'll be honest. I'll put my hands up and say, sometimes when a patient doesn't come in, I'm like, you know, take some time off. But yeah. this is this is is, is a very it's a very logical thing. Like you're not saying anything that's abnormal or or mm-hmm. wrong. It's just if you put more time into it. And I think you know we do have the resources at dental school um, to actually you know practice more and and improve our preps it will allow you to be a lot better. But like I think even myself and Robbie, mm-hmm. um, Zane, if you remember, like in third year, you start doing like crown preps. Yeah. And I remember if I look at my first crown prep, oh, wow. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting shape. Let's just say that like, yeah. um, and, and only through sheer repetition, like, because as I said, like we've got the knowledge in our heads, but actually yeah. getting your hands to do what's in your mind is very challenging. So yeah, I I, I I think I do back the idea of putting the time in, using those phantom heads and yeah dental students you know uh listen to it don't just go home um yeah yeah, no, very very interesting and um you also did some other things while you were at dental school Mm. so obviously you know you you were doing dentistry um as a graduate but you also did a few other things alongside it what can you tell us a little bit about you know what you were doing alongside just a degree
2: yeah. Um, so I did. I did stuff around dentistry and outside of dentistry as well. So it depends kind of where you want to go with it. Do you mean kind of specifically clinical and around dentistry, or do you mean completely like outside of dentistry?
0: Any sort of extracurricular things that you did that okay. took up your time, basically?
2: Yeah. So so let's talk non-clinical first. So like I, I've always been really big into my sports. So I really really love cricket. I've been playing it since I was like seven. I oh, played really. it to quite a high standard and. At uni, that was always a thing that kind of, uh, I made a lot of friends playing cricket and, and that's how I know a lot of the people that I do know at King's, just through through sport. Um, so I did a lot of that, met a lot of great guys through through GKT uh, cricket. Um, and then I, I've always had like ambitions and aspirations and interests in like politics, current affairs, um, kind of journalism. That was the kind of stuff that at school I was like wanting to do. And then, you know, Asian parents and also just looking at kind of, science and where you can actually go with it as a Mm -hmm. as a career there was a lot more of a predictable career pathway with science than there was with english at uni and that wasn't parental pressure that was just me looking at the two options of being like yeah i can see an easy pathway into dentistry here whereas with english you know i'm gonna have to graft the network and do all these and basically i'm gonna have to wait for a lucky break to go into like politics or journalism yeah Um, so one really big thing that I did at, when I was at Kings was I um, enrolled in this. Uh, it was like a. It was called the Young Muslim Leadership Program, but it wasn't about Islam in terms of like learning about faith, and, and it wasn't like a religious sort of camp. It was actually about uh, enabling young Muslims to, to partake in sectors where they're traditionally underrepresented, so in politics, in media, in um, the arts and drama and, and TV and that sort of thing, because you don't really see. Uh, Ethnic minorities and also people uh, from Muslim backgrounds in those in those sectors normally. So it was all about kind of enabling young Muslims to to kind of branch into those sectors. So it was like a two-week sort of camp at Oxford University as part of their. They have like an Islamic Institute there, and that was crazy. Like I I I signed up for it on a whim and I applied and and they they accepted my application and I, I went there for two weeks residential I think over summer and I met so many great people like mps uh the ceo of oxfam like really interesting people um that you just wouldn't come across in your normal day-to-day life and a lot of it was just conversations discussions tea and coffee with these people and just talking to them like about anything and everything like when you're curious you can just you know you can ask them anything and they'll be happy to discuss it it's just having access to these people and basically off the back of that loads of things came out uh in terms of like initiatives that I, i then pursued but the biggest one was the number 10 downing street and and you know, we can go into that in a bit more detail. But um, you know, all of these things, it is kind of putting yourself in the right place at the right time. That was like the thing that I learned the most from it. I'm I'm someone who's always said yes to stuff more than I've said no. Like if someone comes to me with a proposal or an idea, I'm always like, yeah, go on, then let's try it or let's do it. I'm never like, nah, that sounds like a rubbish idea. Like I always want to try. And then, yeah, okay, if it backfires or it's not very good, then fine, I've wasted it a time and maybe money. But I'm always open to like, starting something new or exploring something, you're collaborating with people because you, know, you don't know what can come with it. it. It is like that kind of butterfly effect that they talk about where like one thing leads to another and you don't actually know how you ended up on you know, this podcast, for example. But maybe it was something that you did years ago that set it, things in motion for you to have the success that you now enjoy.
1: Yeah. No, fair enough. Okay. And then um, something else that you've done since graduating was publishing a book Um, so I'm going to ask you three questions all in one. What's the name of the book? Um, what is it about and where can people find it?
2: Okay. So the book was like a, it was a lockdown project and it was based on kind of, I guess, similar to what you guys are doing in that I wanted to help a lot of like young dental students and people younger than me who'd like be DMing me and asking me for like tips or tricks or advice about dental school particularly and how I'd done, you know, won awards and that sort of thing. So that's why I put the book together, and I just started to set myself the target of like writing 500-ish words a day uh, over lockdown because you know everyone had the time, and so I was like, all right, let me do this every day for a month and see what I have got. And at the end of it, I had like you know 100 pages worth of, of writing, and like it was it was easy because it was like me giving out advice. So obviously, we love hearing mm-hmm. ourselves talk, and so writing's the same. You can you don't struggle to hit 500 words when you're writing about something that you genuinely believe in, whereas yeah. when it's like a literature review, you're like, oh god, 500 words, how am I going to do that? Um so the book's called Know the Drill, which is like, uh, you know, your namesake on the podcast. Um, obviously, a, a good pun for for dentists. Um, and it's about basically giving advice to dental students. So it covers lots of different uh, areas. It covers kind of clinical tips and tricks, which obviously is now kind of my more mainstay and the kind of stuff that I talk mm. to most people about now. But back then, it was just like a chapter in the book. Then it was stuff like networking, um, passing exams, how to like apply for awards. So, you know, you guys always get emailed about, oh, we've got this award coming up, this essay competition, this clinical skills competition. And so it was like, there was advice on how to approach those so that you've got the best chance of winning. Um, So there's a big chapter and, and big series on that. And yeah, networking. So like how I've met some dentists, how I shadowed some dentists, how I learned things. Like it's just, it's all about kind of exposing yourself to lots of different influences and, and content out there. And to, to a certain extent, a lot of you do it already, but there's p- potentially avenues that you might not be aware of. And so that book was just mm-hmm. kind of covering all of those possible avenues that I'd been exposed to so that other people could benefit from it. And it was published, it was self-published on amazon.co.uk. So if you you go on Amazon, type in know the drill, you should be able to find it there. And it's all, all the proceeds go to charity. So I don't make any money off of it.
1: Wow, amazing. that's amazing! Yeah,
2: excellent.
1: Um, so, what what advice would you give to anyone thinking of, you know, writing a book quite early on in their career, like you've done? Uh,
2: two things. Um, number one, I think we all suffer from this so much, and I think it's so it's such a shame because it stops us from really um, contributing value. And that is, mm. don't have imposter syndrome. Like, try to drop the whole like, oh, what do I know? I'm only second year BDS, or I'm only, you know, I'm only a student. Or for me, I'm only a first-year first year dentist. What do I know? Like, like you should just drop that kind of ego trip where you're like, oh, God, I don't know enough. Like, like mm-hmm. you should just realize that everyone in on this planet has some sort of value to offer. And your advice doesn't always have to be perfect. There's a lot of stuff that I might advise, tips and tricks-wise, that may not even be clinically perfect. Like, you know, there might be flaws in it. And I might realize that 10 years down the line. You have people like Tiff Qureshi posting 20-year follow-ups on Instagram But a lot of the stuff that he's learned has been over time. Like he's posting twenty year follow ups, and only now is he like, you know, I know that this stuff works because I've got twenty year follow up. But when he was doing this twenty years ago, he probably thought, you know, I think this is a good idea, but will it work? I don't know. And and so like things evolve with time. So don't always don't be afraid of making mistakes or giving the wrong advice because you know other people are also smart. Like I'm not, you know, you guys are all really intelligent students, and you can critique stuff. So like if you're if you get a piece of advice from me that you think Oh, that doesn't really make much sense. Then you'll just you won't take it. Like it. it doesn't matter that you know mm. everything isn't perfect that you're putting out there. Just get it out there in the first place, and then refine it. Uh, I think a lot of us just stop ourselves from putting anything out there because you're like, oh, like what if it's not perfect? Like we're perfectionists, and if you if you yeah. kind of get paralyzed by that, you'll never put anything out there, and you'll never benefit from it. Um, so my first piece of advice is just kind of get over that self esteem kind of imposter syndrome issue and back yourself to put something out there that is of value and don't be afraid of like you know if it backfires or if someone critiques it there's always people out there who are going to give you criticism um and then the second piece of advice is in terms of the actual specifics to writing a book um don't view it as like oh god i've got to write a book like how the hell am i going to put together hundreds of pages just be like what is it that i want to say um and how do i want to structure it so the way you'd write an essay be like okay this is what i want to cover I'm going to structure it in this way. So these are going to be my chapters. So for me, I was like, okay, I want to cover mentoring. I want to cover clinical tips. I want to cover awards. I want to cover, um, uh, you know, networking and all this sort of stuff. So those are my chapter titles. And then for each chapter, I was like, okay, I'm going to just start with number one, which is the introduction or, or, you know, uh, applying for awards. And I would just write. And, And I never put any pressure on myself to hit a certain amount. That to write for each chapter, I was like, I'm going to say what I think is important for this topic and I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not just going to waffle to make it sound like it's lengthy because that means that the actual content will lose value because people will be reading absolute rubbish, being like, what's he trying to say here? So I was very, like, to the point and concise, even though when you think about it, it's a bit counterintuitive because you're trying to fill out this book that you want to publish. But even if your book is, I read something which is like, even if your book is like 40 pages long that's still an achievement and that's still a publication. Like It doesn't have to be hundreds and hundreds of pages like novels. It doesn't have to be like Harry Potter. You, know? you, you don't need to have seven series and seven editions. It can, it can even be... I was thinking, all right, I'm going to make a 60-page book, ideally. That's how much content I've got there. And just because I took that pressure off myself, I ended up having 101 or 108 pages. And that was just kind of like, oh, okay, wow. I've put, some, I've put together something quite substantial here. But don't intimidate yeah. yourself at the first hurdle. Just, just get started. And keep writing, keep writing, and keep writing. And then when you think you've said enough on a topic, move on to the next one.
0: Okay. Mm, Yeah. I think, um, I don't know, I'm definitely misquoting this, but it was something along the lines of, if you're teaching something, don't try and teach it like a master, teach it like a student. So Mm. it's stuff that you've learned along the way rather than you trying to talk at someone and be like, oh, no, I know that these are the best tips for, you know, composite X, Y, Z. Yeah. And I think that kind of, you know, helps with the imposter syndrome because... Mm. Sometimes you do think, okay, I know this, and I think I know a little bit more than like the average, but I'm yeah. not a master. So yeah, just 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 a way to like think of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just in general, like, what tips would you give to those who you know need some inspiration or or advice on how to like maximize their time in dental school?
2: Yeah, I, I think I think I remember sitting down actually quite distinctly. I think in third year, and I was like, I think on a, on a blank piece of paper, I put down like, what do I, what do I actually want to achieve in like the next five ten years? Because we've all got different priorities. Like for me, clearly at the moment, my priority is like, I want to be the best dentist in the world. Like, like it sounds lofty, but that is like, for me, if I was to write down my single goal right now, it's to become the best clinical dentist out there. But you know, some people don't care about that. Some people are like, oh, as long as I can just like make sure things are okay for a patient, I want to be more like popular or, or more or an influencer. I want to be a den- denfluencer, whatever you call it nowadays. And that's not a, something to look down upon. I just don't have any interest in necessarily being that kind of person, but it's not a bad thing. Like some people are geared up and gearing their social media and their profile up to be influencers and that's totally fine. But if that's your goal, then you're going to be doing things a bit differently to what I might mm-hmm. be doing right now. So my first piece of piece of advice would be just sit down and just kind of have a think, okay, in 5 years where do I want to be? In 10 years where do I want to be? And then at least you have a little bit of trajectory and you don't have to be very specific. You don't have to overthink it. You just have to be like, right, where do I want to be? And then once you've got this kind of objective, the story that you want to tell yourself, then you can start planning towards how you might get there. So like for me, it was like, okay, I want to be the best clinically. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to put in hours of practice at university on Phantom Head. I'm Mm. going to surround myself and shadow and observe clinicians that I really respect and admire. So, you know, I'd go... I'd go shadow on Harley Street. I'd email these people. And, and most of them would be like, yeah, come. I mean, with COVID, it's a little bit difficult because of infection yeah. control and stuff now. But you'd be surprised. Like, you should just reach out to these people. And more, more than often than not, they're happy to either get you into their clinic, show you around, or even just have a coffee or a chat over the phone. So don't be afraid of, of reaching out to people that you look up to, because that's what we all do. I look up to people like Karai, like Basil Mizrahi, like really excellent clinical dentists and i want to be more like them and and so that's what i'm i'm gearing myself up towards and taking steps to do that so it's difficult to give specific advice without knowing exactly what your goal is but i think the first step is to identify what your goals are And then you can start to approach the right kind of people. I might not be the right kind of person for someone who wants to be an influencer on social media, Mm. you know, or run a podcast, for example. I, I don't have one. I don't have that kind of content that I'm creating. So, um, I would say sit down and just map out what your goals are and then you can start putting in kind of plans towards that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've heard quite a few of our guests say that actually. So yeah, have a long term goal and then, you know, work towards that. Um, but yeah, okay. So moving on. So you're invited to Number Ten Downing Street uh, for mm. a Prime Minister's reception as recognition for your work. So could you tell us a bit more about how that you know came about and your experience of it?
2: Yeah. So um, basically, this uh, leadership program that I went in Oxford um, on the final day, and I didn't know this at the time, but some one of the uh, civil servants from number 10 so number 10 is just basically a, a massive office full of lots of different civil servants working in different departments so um this lady was from the policy making unit so you know they would be advising Theresa may in terms of new policies to introduce uh, for government so she came down and she was just like oh yeah hi like i work for the civil service she was very non-specific obviously didn't say oh yeah i'm at number 10 downing street and i work for Theresa may she was just like "Oh, i'm in the civil service i work on various policy initiatives and she kind of just quietly sat in on a lot of the meetings that we were having and we started mm-hmm. having meetings on stuff like healthcare infrastructure education and like what our views on that were and i i'm not someone who like you know contrary to what my people might think i don't dominate a conversation usually like i'm quite like i'll just say what i think if i'm prompted um, or if I disagree with something, but I won't kind of just be the loudest person in the room, constantly talking, and that sort of thing. So I piped up a few times because I was like, well, I'm in this room for a reason. Let me say what I think on healthcare infrastructure, students, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then off the back of that, she kind of was like, oh, Zane, like, what's your email? She kind of took down a few contact details, which again, I didn't think was very strange because that whole two weeks we were doing that kind of thing, passing out yeah. business cards, networking. And I got an email shortly after being like, oh, Zane, I like, um, was wondering if you just want to come down for a chat to number 10. And I was like, like, number 10 downing street he's like yeah like uh, i'm based in the cabinet office there and i was like oh this is so cool like i'm gonna yeah. go to number 10 um i was like yeah hell yeah i'm coming and i went and it was like it was like being a tourist like like you literally take the photos outside the front door you go in and you're like oh my god like you get a tour around the place and i was like this is like a movie like honestly it's so cool yeah um and There was like absolutely no chat about anything serious. We were just kind of, I was just being shown around by this lady. And she was like, yeah, so this is this room, this is that room. We went for a coffee in the canteen. And then she was like, right, kind of see you later, bye. And it kind of just finished. And I was like, that was really random. Like I got a tour around Downing Street and that's great. I got pictures I can post on social media. But like, why Why did that happen? Like it makes no sense. Like what does she want? And then there was like radio silence for a couple of months. Then I got a second email and like a few months later being like, Suzanne, it was lovely to meet a few months ago. Um, We're now putting together a roundtable of uh, not just students, but basically focus groups of people that we want to consult about policies that we're thinking Mm. of introducing that might affect students, young Muslims, um, you know, people from your background, basically, and your demographic. So, would you be interested in being a part of these focus groups? They'll all be taking place at number 10 Downing Street. And I was like, obviously, yes. And so (laughs) I had about a series of like six to 10. My six to eight uh, meetings at Downing Street over third year. So, constantly throughout third year, um, I was like finishing clinics at like four and just like pegging it down to Westminster and going into 10 Downing Street and having these meetings in all the different state rooms of state. It was really crazy. And I was oh, like, I can't cool. believe this is happening. Yeah. Um, I wasn't allowed to tell anyone about it at the time as well. So, I kept it very under wraps because you can't just be like the student who's just going to Downing Street and telling everyone about what you're doing. Obviously, now it's all kind of tapered off and I'm no longer involved. So, it's a bit more comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what I did in third year. And then what basically happened was there was a change of government. Theresa May went, Boris Johnson came in. Uh, obviously, staffing changes as well. People mm-hmm. rotate to different departments. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it kind of tapered off. But I still got an invite to her, her reception. Um, like it was like an Eid reception or something and got to speak to her for a little bit. And yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing, surreal, like the best kind of experience and exposure I've had in my life. And, and again, that, that whole butterfly effect. Like I couldn't, have, mm. I couldn't have put this as like something I want to do. I just yeah. said yes to this opportunity i applied for this opportunity did it and it came off the back of that just right time right place but i wouldn't have known it yeah. i couldn't have planned for it
0: I, I honestly i just want like everyone to just you know like r- record that in their heads because <laughs> it's such an obvious example of sometimes you know if the opportunity presents itself just take it yeah. because this is how i always think of it it's like okay if nothing comes out out of it well then you're in the same spot that you're in if you hadn't done anything, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like you're not losing anything. You're always going to gain something. Even if you'd yeah. gone on this initiative, you'd used t- two weeks. You'd be like, okay, I met some interesting people, but that's it. You yeah. would have gained some new skills. So yeah. I, I think I just want to, you know, like really push this home as well. Opportunities, you know, when they come up, take them, especially yeah. at dental school. I feel like we don't kind of value ourselves in the sense of, you know, we, we've got that like, decent level of intelligence where we're like, most people are quite driven, like make the Effort to actually find things and do interesting things, but yeah, yeah, so really, yeah, I'm just very happy to hear that you know, like you found something and it kind of like culminates in something really, yeah. really interesting.
2: Yeah, you know what it is? It, it's it's the fact that you don't know who might be watching and who might be following yeah. you. Like, uh, and that's not just this specific example. Like, I, I've I've even been offered jobs uh, off the back of just stuff that I'm I've been posting on on Instagram, mm. and it's not. I, I didn't always go in with like, oh, I'm going to get a private job because I'm going to be posting on Instagram. I, I, like if you scroll back in my feed i was also doing crappy work on phantom heads and like my composites are out of line um, my crown preps are awful and but i was just putting them out there and like people could see that this guy's got the attitude where like if i employ him he's not going to be very good or he's not going to be the best when he starts but he will get there because he's going to yeah. listen to feedback that i give him and he's got that mentality of like always wanting to improve and get better mm. and better and so that kind of person is a dream to have on your team because they are they, their ears are open they want to listen they're not that kind of person who's like arrogant thinks they're the best and like just doesn't want to listen to any advice because that's not what the kind of person you want to work uh, or employ. And so it's just like put your stuff out there because even if you think it's rubbish, um, someone else might be looking at it from a very different point of view because they've got more experience than you. So yeah, just get, get your work out there, not just dentistry stuff, say yes to opportunities, get involved with stuff because you don't know where it might go.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's perfect. Okay. And then penultimate question what tips would you give to those who need advice on how to maximize their potential in their DFT year?
2: Okay, yeah, DFT is very specific. So um, DFT is one of those really... The, the unfortunate thing about DFT is not everyone gets the same experience. They, they try and tell you that that is going to happen, but it's just impossible to standardize. Like Think of it as a concept. All of these students coming out of dental school are being sent to random practices around the country you know, England, Scotland, Wales, whatever. Um, And it's going to be impossible to try and make sure that everyone learns the same thing and develops at the same rate. And so Mm. you know that it's a little bit of a lottery, but there are some things that you should be aware of and you shouldn't be taken advantage of because unfortunately some of you guys do get stuck with principals and supervisors who take advantage of the fact that you're a foundation trainee. So the couple of things that you should be aware of and that you should push is, number one is time. So in DFT, you have got the license to take as long as you want, as long as you want. The business that you're working for does not suffer. The business that you're working for gets a fixed lump sum. Someone told me once it was 100 grand for the year, which I don't think is accurate, but it's ridiculous how much money they get to basically have you in the practice. Mm. So they've already got their money. You are not making them any money. You are there to just be trained and they have obligations as part of being your trainers. So from my point of view is you should book and you should try and push to book enough time as you mm-hmm. feel is necessary for you to do every procedure perfectly to, to the best of your ability. Obviously it won't be perfect, but you should not be feeling rushed in DFT, especially not at the first six months. Like like I get towards the end of the year, they want to try and train you up for, to work in the NHS. And so they kind of try and speed you up just for your own benefit so that you don't go into your first year association and you're like, oh my God, I can't deal with this. But at least for the first six months, like you should be able to dictate your appointment times and you should tell them like, look, this is Mm. how much I think I need. And okay, what's the worst that's going to happen. You're going to be left with too much time and you might be twiddling your thumbs because you finished the procedure early. Great. It's much better than rushing something, messing it up and then like not learning anything, feeling humiliated, knowing that you cut corners that doesn't have any kind Mm. of benefit to you. Like, um, People often say, "Oh, yeah, practice makes perfect," and I'm always like, "No, no, like it's perfect practice that makes perfect. Like you need to do things. It's a bar, but it, I've heard it from somewhere else. Like that's one. No, that's
0: one of my favorite things to say. Yeah, like, it's yeah, a yeah, really yeah, good yeah.
2: quote because that is exactly what dentistry yeah. is. You yeah. cannot do amazing composites." If you're not using rubber dam like you're not going to put cotton wool roll in there and you're not going to sculpt perfect the of anatomy it's just not going to happen i'm sorry like it, mm. you can't cut corners and then expect to get the best results like you need to mm. learn how to put rubber dam on you need to learn how to put it on properly because bad rubber dam is actually worse than no rubber dam that's something that also people don't realize and you know i'm going off topic here but point being take enough time to do things properly because that's how you learn and you can do that in dft when you're an associate and you're self-employed obviously how much work you do directly has an impact on how much you earn. And so you can't just take yeah. the mick and just spend the whole day with one patient because the business will make a loss. You will also make a loss and it's not feasible, but in DFT you get paid a fixed salary. So you don't need to worry about how much you're, you're making and the practice also gets paid. So you're not, you're not impacting them. So you're not, it's a win-win in, in theory. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing to push. Um, what's the other thing to push? uh the other thing in dft really is just you you have the time to expose yourself to lots of different influences so your big your first boss has a big influence on you so your es yes they they will be a big bearing on kind of how you view dentistry and and what you implement but they don't have to be the only person that you are learning from like they are going to be the everyday sort of person that's going to be there but you know go and shadow clinicians the learning doesn't stop in dft um you know, loads of you are already on social media, but you can learn so much through Facebook and Instagram. And it's not its not Instagram dentistry, and it's not Facebook dentistry in a negative way. Like, you can learn really good stuff off these places. You just need to be able to critically appraise it and also implement it in the right way. And ESs are good to bounce these ideas off because they have more experience than you. So yes. one thing I find that a lot of King's graduates have, and I had this as well, which is that we have a bit of arrogance coming out of King's because we're taught that, oh, you guys know everything. And like, you, you are at the forefront of like technology. And one thing I learned in foundation is that people older than you who have more experience than you, they may do things differently. And yes, some of those things may not be the way that you might do things, but it works and it holds value and you can still learn from it. Your dental career will be taking bits and pieces from different people, putting it together and implementing it. And so you can learn anything from everyone.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And just our final question, which you'd like to ask our guests, just a quick one. What is one tip you would give to people who are thinking of applying to dentistry at the moment?
2: Uh, One tip I would give to people thinking of applying to dentistry is uh, try and do, not try and get work experience, try and get um, realistic work experience, if that makes sense. I think uh, one thing I found, even as a grad, I I did loads of work experience, but I, I never kind of got why dentistry was so fun and so good because all my work experience was was sitting in a corner watching someone do something that i didn't understand <laughs> uh, you know it's a bugbear for a lot of people i'm sure but yeah. that that it's impossible to be like yeah i want to do dentistry if you've never picked up a handpiece you've never picked up something to carve you've never like done an activity that mm. is actually dental related because watching someone do something like dentistry is the most boring thing you can think of. And so I'm not, I'm not surprised that people don't want to do dentistry and they do medicine instead. Uh, You know, like dentistry is amazing. And I didn't know this until third year, until I picked up a handpiece and a scaler and I did like license to cut phantom head stuff. Like I didn't realize how fun it was and how competitive it can be and how much you can see your work improve. And it's aesthetic and artistic and all this sort of stuff. People say it in interviews because they're taught to say it, but they don't actually experience it and they don't live it. And Doing that as a student who's applying for dental school—if you actually experience that and you get that bug, you will shine at an interview, hundred percent. Because people will be able to see that you've actually experienced what it is like to be into dentistry. Um, as to how you do that, you know, there's lots of different ways.
0: Yeah, I think I'm just going to say one thing, really, really, uh, just to hammer this home. I, I always make this point when, whenever someone asks me, like, "Oh, you know, how do I say the why dentistry?" I was like, "If you just say you saw something." Okay. You can say you've learned something, that's fine, but you can't really bring that passion up. You can't say seeing something is the reason why you wanted to commit like the rest of your 40, 50 year career to it. Cause for example, I sometimes see my plumber fix my sink, which I think is amazing, but that doesn't suddenly make me want to become a plumber. The same thing with dentistry. If you actually yeah. want to find out why you love it, you have to try and have some sort of practical hands-on thing. Um, but yeah, as it. it can be hard to get, but I think there's a lot of, there's a few schemes out there and I know that some universities do like some hands-on courses now. I think Kings and I'm pretty sure Queen Mary does them. So if you're in London, you're you're sorted. Um, But yeah, anyway, take it away, Robbie.
1: Um, Yeah, no, that was a really insightful episode. Thank you so much, Zane, for coming on, taking your time and we look forward to welcoming you on again um, for part two. Um, And yeah, so thank you to all our listeners and viewers for tuning into the, you know, the drill podcast make sure to check out Zane's amazing Instagram page over at doctor, so Dr. So um, Zane Rizvi. Um And also London School of Dentistry, where they offer taster courses to people thinking of applying to dentistry. Um, and on his page, you can keep up to date with it. his incredible work. Uh, make sure to also check out our YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening.
0: Yeah. And just to find out more about dentistry, the application process and stay up to date with the podcast, you can also check us out at Spotify on, at, you know, the drill podcast and at Ferris on YouTube for all your dental needs. Thank you for listening. Peace out.